Heavenly Father, we ask that you would preserve our lives according to your love. Oh Lord, without your love, we are nothing. And so, Lord, we pray that you would preserve us by your love so that we will obey the statutes of your mouth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep the commands that you have given us and to do these because you have first loved us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we return again to our series in John's Gospel, and so I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible there, to open it up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we've been working our way through the book of John together, and we've been looking at Jesus and his ministry uh, before he went to Jerusalem, and he has now returned to Jerusalem, and this is the time just before he is going to be put to death. So he's come to Jerusalem for the last time, and he came back in chapter 12, verse 1. It's page 1065, if you've got a black church Bible, page 1065. And so we saw he came back to Jerusalem in chapter 12, verse 1. He arrives in Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem, and we saw there that a a feast was given in his honour, and that is when his friend Mary... uh, broke a bottle of perfume, that's what we looked at last time, broke this bottle of perfume over his feet and we looked at what that meant uh, particularly for us today. And then we see in chapter 12, verse 12, that the great crowd that had come for the feast, that's the Passover feast that's about to happen in Jerusalem, they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so they go out to meet him in verse 13. Verse 13 of John chapter 12, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So Jesus has arrived at Bethany. He's had the feast there. Now he makes this triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the people are praising him as he comes in. And we see what the Lord Jesus does in verse 14, verse 14 of John chapter 12. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. And then we see the crowd continuing to come around him in verse 17. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, that's the resurrection of Lazarus, went out to meet him. And so you see this crowd here that's building more and more as people are understanding who Jesus is and they are attracted to him. But not everybody is attracted to him. We've seen again and again that the religious leaders are unhappy with the Lord Jesus and that has been why he has stayed away from Jerusalem up until this point. Uh, he's been there on a number of occasions, but he's, he's been keeping away as well. And we see in verse 19 that their, their hatred towards him continues. Verse 19 of John chapter 12 So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees are realizing again and again that the people really like Jesus and they are not interested in Jesus themselves, but they see that the people love Jesus and they say the whole world has gone after him. And it's interesting they say the whole world, that they say the world is going after Jesus. Up until this point, we've seen a lot of Jews attracted to Jesus. Now they're saying the world is going after him. And this is taken up in the very next verse that we see it is indeed the world is going after Jesus. In verse 20, what do we read? 
Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. So these are non-Jews, Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So the whole world is indeed seeking after Jesus. You see that more and more nations are interested. Not just the Jewish nation is interested in Jesus. We see the Greeks are interested in who this Jesus is as well. And what is Jesus' response to this request to see him by the Greeks? Well, we read in verse 23. Verse 23 of John chapter 12. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the Lord that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So we see these Greeks, they come, they want to see Jesus. Jesus then speaks. Uh, we're not quite sure whether he actually speaks to the Greeks himself. It's not very clear. You see that he answers at least Andrew and Philip as they bring to Jesus this request from the Greeks. And he goes on to speak about his death. He's very clear that he is going to be crucified, that he'll be lifted up, and he will draw people to himself. And he speaks about what it means to live as a Christian, that the person who lives as a Christian must be prepared to lose his life in order to find it. And so I want to focus this morning on this fact of these Greeks coming to see Jesus, that they would like to see Jesus. Now, I could have preached on the passage before that, uh, verses 12 through to verse 19, but I actually preached on that in 2008 when I was a student at Bible College. I preached here on that passage, and it is available on the internet still on the Des Moines Baptist webpage. I went and listened to it this week. Um, okay. Uh, it's many years ago now. Uh, if you'd like to know what I've got to say about chapter 12, verses 12 through to 19, you can go and have a listen. But I thought I'd particularly focus this morning on the fact of these Greeks and their request. Their request in verse 21, where they said, Sir, this is to Philip, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And I think this is a helpful thing for us to look at this morning because we are like these Greeks. 
We are not Jews. Well, I'm not aware of any Jews in the room. We are non-Jews. We are Gentiles. And so we are like these Greeks. Jesus, up until this point, has been ministering primarily to the Jews. And here we see that Greeks are now starting to be aware of what is going on with the Lord Jesus. And they come and they want to see him too. And this should be our desire as well. As non-Jews, we should desire to see Jesus. Now, why should we desire to see Jesus? Because there's no greater sight than seeing the Lord Jesus. Some people think that the greatest sight is the Great Barrier Reef or the Himalayas and see Mount Everest or Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. They visit different parts of creation and say that's the greatest sight in the world. And some people work very hard at going to see such sites. They may work very hard in their day jobs so that they have the money so they can travel and see these marvellous sites. They think that these are the greatest wonders that can be shown to man. And some people, when they get there, they do all kinds of things to get great angles of these places. I was watching a documentary this week uh, of rock climbing and the things that some of these people do. I mean, the sites look really nice. They obviously get a video camera up there and so I can see it from the comfort of my room. But the things that they do to get these marvellous views of creation, they work so hard at them. And yet the greatest sight of all is Jesus himself. Why is Jesus the greatest sight? Well, he is the son of God. He is the creator of the created things that people marvel over so much, those different views that we have of the world, those things that have been made by the Lord. Well, he is the creator of them, and it's far greater to see him. In Jesus, we actually see God. God is a spirit. We can't see God because he is spirit. But in Christ, we can actually see him because he is God incarnate. He has taken on flesh. He is the true God. And as we look at Jesus, we see a perfect teacher. We see someone who is perfect in justice, perfect in love, perfect in power, and the perfect redeemer. We sang that hymn at the beginning of the service. We're still getting used to it. I'm not sure whether it will remain on our playlist. Uh, But that's hymn by Fry who says, He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. And that should be true of everyone who claims to be a Christian, that he is the greatest sight we've ever seen. If you claim to be a Christian and Jesus isn't the greatest thing that you've seen, that you've seen Niagara Falls and you think that's actually greater than Jesus, then you're not a Christian. Because he is the greatest sight. Now, how do you go about seeing Jesus? I've said he's a marvellous sight. How do we see Jesus? After all, Jesus is not here anymore. We can't go and travel over to Jerusalem and see him. He is in heaven now. He has ascended up and is at God's right hand. But the Greeks may have had a similar problem at the time. It's interesting that they don't go to Jesus directly. They go to Philip. And then Philip goes to Andrew, and then Philip and Andrew go and see Jesus. Now, why is this that they didn't go directly to Jesus? Maybe because Jesus wasn't available to them because of where Jesus was. We don't know where Jesus is all the time. He's in Jerusalem somewhere. He may have been actually in the temple, in the part of the temple that only Jews were allowed to go into. There was a section that was for Gentiles, and and these Greeks may have actually been in that Gentile court and knew they couldn't go into the part of the temple where Jesus was. But they caught one of his disciples and they said to that disciple we would like to see Jesus is there any possibility that we could see Jesus we want to see him what do they mean by they want to see him they want to actually meet with him they don't just want to see him pass by like some sort of spectacle they want to actually engage with him 
And we understand that. Like I could say, I, I, I saw the Queen uh, the other day, and what would you think? Well, I saw her from a distance. But if the Prime Minister of England said, I went and saw the Queen this morning, you might think something very different when he says, see her. He's actually met with her. He's conversed with her. And that's what these Greeks want to do here with the Lord Jesus. And so how do they do it? Well, they go to one of the apostles. And this is important, I think, because it's interesting that this is the stage, I think, where Jesus starts to bring an end to his ministry to the Jews, and we start to see that the apostles are now going to be the ones who take the ministry not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Jesus' ministry, as I said before, was primarily to the Jews. The ministry to the Gentiles was primarily conducted by the apostles. By the apostles. They were even told the apostles early on not to go to the Jews when they were, uh, to the non Jews when they were sent out. They were to only go to the lost people of Israel. But here we start to see that there's a change coming. And it's interesting what Jesus says in the very, in the words that he responds to with Philip and Andrew. What does he say in verse 23? Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Up until this point, Jesus, whenever he speaks about the hour, he says the hour has not come, the hour has not come, the hour has not come. And now that the ministry seems to be blossoming so much, and even the Greeks are coming to him, what does he say? My hour has come to be glorified. And what does he mean by that? He means his death. Now he is ready to die. Now that the Greeks are coming. If any pastor, generally speaking, when all these people are coming, you say, this is the time for me to really live. But Jesus says, this is the time for me to die. And so I think we see a nice little shadow here of what is going to happen in the book of Acts, where the apostles are given the responsibility of going to all the nations and to talking to non-Jews about the Lord Jesus. And we see this little shadow here as these Greeks come not to Jesus directly, but come to the apostles to then see the Lord Jesus. And I think we should do the same. We should go to the apostles as well. Because Jesus is in heaven, how do we get access to Jesus? How do we converse with Jesus? How do we see him? How do we find out about him? Well, it's by going to the apostles. The apostles are the ones who are to reveal Jesus to us. Why the apostles? Well, the New Testament tells us that the apostles are the people who have seen Christ themselves. It's interesting when Judas, is uh, he hangs himself at the end of um, the, the Gospels, and then in the book of Acts, the apostles are trying to work out, well, how do we replace Judas? And they look amongst the people who have been with Jesus the whole time. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21, it says uh, they're speaking to one another and they say, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Who is an apostle? It's got to be someone who was there for Jesus' baptism all the way through his ministry to his death and to his resurrection. So you've got the 12, but then you've got all these other people who were there as well. They weren't chosen by the Lord Jesus to be one of the 12, but there's these people there, and they are meant to, if they're to become an apostle, if they're to be selected, as we see in the book of Acts, they must have seen Jesus, seen him for his whole ministry, beginning from his baptism right up to his resurrection. So the apostles are people that we should go to if we want to see Jesus because they have seen Jesus themselves. 
Also, we know from John's Gospel, as we'll get there in uh, later weeks, that they have been given the, the Holy Spirit, the apostles were given the Holy Spirit, so that we could, uh, so they could remember the things that they've heard, and so that people could be taught by them about the Lord Jesus. Jesus makes a promise in John chapter 14, verse 26. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Some people look at the, the writings of the apostles and say, how could they remember everything that Jesus said? Well, it's not that hard if you've got the Holy Spirit to remind you of everything that was said. So we know that the apostles have been given God himself, the Holy Spirit living in them, so that they have a true and accurate record of what they saw of the Lord Jesus. And, of course, the apostles are some people, the people that we should go to because they're the ones that were given the command to teach all nations. As I said in the book of Acts, they go out and they teach all nations. And we see that in uh, Matthew 28, verse 18, that before Jesus ascends into heaven, he's there with his apostles, and he says to them uh, some last instructions before he goes, And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not just the Jews, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The apostles didn't take on the responsibility of teaching non-Jews about the Lord Jesus. No, they were given it. It was a great commission that was given to them. So, of course, they're the people that we should go to if we wish to see Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is very much aware of this. He wasn't given the commission on that mountain so many years ago. He was one who came later, but he was appointed an apostle. And he was appointed by the Lord to be a witness to the nations about the Lord Jesus as well. Uh, We read his account of his conversion, the Apostle Paul's conversion in Acts 26. And he says, uh, he's talking about what happened on the Damascus Road. And he said, then I asked, who are you, Lord? And it's uh, the Lord replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen of me. Paul has seen the Lord Jesus. The Lord appeared to him on that Damascus Road. And now he needs to be a witness of that as an apostle. And he is to rescue, uh, he's, uh, the Lord Jesus says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The apostle Paul was commissioned, the apostle Paul was commissioned to go to the Gentiles to open their eyes to who the Lord Jesus is. And so the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles are so important for us to see Jesus. They are the way for us to see Jesus. And so I think the apostles are uh, really a fulfillment of that passage that we had read for us before from Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8, that last verse of that chapter, it said, This is what the Lord Almighty says, In those days ten men from all languages and nations, all languages and nations, will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. See this image of people grabbing hold of the hem of a Jew. Let's think of the Apostle Paul. That is us this morning. Grabbing hold of his robe and saying, let us go with you. So because we have heard that God is with you. You may be asking this morning, how do I go to the apostles? Yes, the apostles, many years ago, they were commissioned to show Jesus to people. How do you go to them today? Well, the Roman Catholic Church actually says that you can pray to the apostles. 
Um, it's interesting if you look up Calvin's commentary on this passage. He refutes this. because The Roman Catholic Church actually uses this as a proof text by which we can go to Philip or go to Andrew. You can actually address them so that you can see Jesus. You pray to Philip or you pray to Andrew, just like the Greeks prayed to Philip and prayed to Andrew so many years ago and asked them to see Jesus. But I can't find that in anywhere of Scripture, and I don't think it's a very good explanation uh, of what is going on in verse 22. I think they literally asked them to go and see the Lord Jesus. So where do we go? Well, we go to the New Testament to see Jesus, don't we? Because this was written by the apostles. This is the writings of the apostles. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus. We actually see him in his glory. We see him in his incarnation. We see him in his works. We see him in his passion. We refer the passion to be the the death of him. As he goes to the cross, his suffering. And we see his resurrection. We see his ascension. We see his continued work after his ascension into heaven by the power of his apostles. And so we, if we want to see Jesus, if we had the same request of these Jews so many years ago, these Greeks so many years ago, sir, we would like to see Jesus, we go to the New Testament because that is where the apostles still live and speak to us today. Now, you may be asking this morning, I want to see Jesus, but what should I see first? If you travel the world, if you go to another country and you've only got a limited amount of time in that country, You will ask people, what should I see first? Where should I go? What are the sites that are worth seeing most of all? What are the best things to see in that country? I don't want to miss something that's really important. And so you may be asking me this morning, Joel, as someone who has seen the Lord Jesus, what do I look at first? What should I look at about the Lord Jesus in the New Testament? The New Testament is a big book, 27 books within a book. The New Testament, what should I be looking at first? Well, what did Jesus say when the apostles came with this request to him many years ago? What did he say in verse 23? Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, until unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He starts to speak about his death. His death, that's the thing that he wants to bring foremost to these Gentiles if they're to hear of him. He wants them to see his death. And we should do the same as well. The apostles continue to point to Jesus' death throughout their ministry. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, a lot of the content within those Gospels is taken up with the death of the Lord Jesus. If you look at like Mark's Gospel, it's a short book, 16 chapters. First eight chapters are about Jesus' ministry, the things that he said, the things that he did. The last eight chapters are pretty much all one week of his life, of him going to Jerusalem and dying. There's a focus from the apostles on the passion of the Lord Jesus. And the apostle Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What has Paul got front and centre if you're going to see something about the Lord Jesus? It's his crucifixion. Now, why should we want to see Jesus' death first? Why should be that the thing that, if you're going to see anything about the Lord Jesus, it should be his death? Well, it's because without seeing the death of the Lord Jesus, you can't see the rest of Jesus. Without seeing the death of the Lord Jesus, you can't see the rest of Jesus. Why do people have a problem seeing Jesus? Why do they have a problem It's because of their sin. 
They do not want to see the Lord Jesus. They don't have the desire, and if they have a, an inkling there, they, they can't act upon it because of their sin. Their sin gets in the way. There's that famous hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And in one of the verses of it, Heber's hymn, he says, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. Why can we not see the glory of God? Because we're sinful man. That's why we can't see God. That's why we cannot see the Lord Jesus. But it's interesting, if you see the death of the Lord Jesus... You can see the rest of the Lord Jesus if you come to trust in his death. Why is that? Because through seeing the death of the Lord Jesus, through trusting in his death, you can actually be made holy. And so you can see God. You can see Jesus. You can see the rest of Jesus. And you can progressively see more and more of him after you've seen his death and how that was a payment for your sins. And then you gradually work your way to one day being able to see Jesus face to face in heaven itself. And that's hinted at in verse 25. Verse 25 of John 12, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He starts to speak about the eternal life that we have in him. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. At this time in this world, how do we see Jesus? It's by the apostles. By the apostles. But one day, if we trust in the death of the Lord Jesus, if we see his death, we are made holy, he pays for our sins, and then one day we will see him face to face. So if you're going to see anything about the Lord Jesus, see his death first and foremost. Consider it like if you're traveling to another country. What do you see first when you go to another country? Often it's the airport. That's the first place that you see. And that's what it's like. If you're going to see the rest of the country, you need to see the airport first. And that's what it's like to see Jesus. If you're going to see anything about Jesus, consider seeing his death first and foremost. Because if you go there, then you can see everything else about the Lord Jesus. Your eyes are opened because the sin is taken away by the death of Jesus so that you can see the rest of him. But it's interesting because... The analogy kind of breaks down a bit because the, the airport is usually not the most interesting of places of a country. But think of the death of the Lord Jesus as the most glorious, the most exciting airport you could ever visit. An airport that you would get into and you pretty much don't care about rest, seeing the rest of the country because this airport is fantastic. And that's what it's like to see the death of the Lord Jesus. If you see his death in all its glory... You won't be inclined to see other parts of him all that much because the death of the Lord Jesus is where we see the justice, the love, the compassion, the mercy, the grace of God in such clarity that it's almost like you don't need to go anywhere else. But in saying that, don't stop at the airport. See much more of Jesus than his death. There is so much to see. Read the Gospels. Read the epistles written by the apostles and see Jesus in his other actions that he performed whilst on earth. Read the Old Testament. There's a lovely kid's Bible that I love. It's uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I love the subtitle. It says, Every Page Whispers His Name. And I think that's a wonderful description of the Old Testament. Every page whispers the name of the Lord Jesus. We have the writings of the prophets as well as the apostles about the Lord Jesus. And you can see Jesus in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Don't just bog down in the New Testament. See Jesus in the Old Testament as well. And see Jesus with friends. If you visit another country, 
It's nice to go with someone else. Don't just go on your own. It's nice if you can go with someone else. And that's what it's like if we want to see Jesus. We should go with friends. We should have people who encourage us to look at Jesus and look at the Bible with us together and even use books. Uh, There's one book that I really like that's on the church library, uh, written by A.W. Pink, The Seven Sayings of the Saviour on the Cross. The seven things that Jesus said on the cross, and he unpacks them. You can walk with A.W. Pink as a friend. He's a good friend of mine. He's been dead for many years. I've never met him uh, face to face, but he's a very good friend of mine. And that's what we should be doing if we want to see Jesus. We should go with friends and even go with a group of people. I have the wonderful privilege of later in... uh, well, early next year, January, I'm going to go to Israel. I'm not going on my own. I'm going with my wife. I'm going with my mum. I'm going with my aunt and a whole other group of other Christians. We're going on a tour group. And it's going to be marvellous to go around Israel together rather than just go on my own. It will be so much more rewarding, I think, to go as a group. How do you see Jesus as a group? Well, attend a local church which teaches the writings of the apostles, where Jesus is preached. It's a wonderful thing when you come to church on Sundays, you can see Jesus if the writings of the apostle are proclaimed. I was reading a commentary or another sermon on this text this week by James Montgomery Boyce. I really like James Montgomery Boyce. He was a Presbyterian minister in North America, and he talks about different pulpits that he's been in. And he says, there's one pulpit I always remember favorably. It is the pulpit of the little chapel on the campus of the Stony Brook School located at Stony Brook, Long Island. There is a quotation from the Bible which faces the preacher as he stands to address his congregation. It is a short quotation, but an arresting one. So think of it, the pulpit, there's this writing there for any visiting preacher or even the current preacher to see. Every time he gets up to preach, he sees this quotation. What's the quotation? Well, it comes from the passage we're looking at today, that verse that we focused on so much. What's the quotation? It simply says, Sir We would see Jesus. It's King James translation. If you look at our translation, it's, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And that should be said to every preacher who stands up as a representative of God. He should be presenting Jesus. And that should be the request of the people. Sir, a polite request. Sir, we would see Jesus. If you're going to show us anything this morning... Show us Jesus. That's who we want to see. Maybe we should get that written on our pulpit. I should ask the deacons whether they'd like that to be done so that any visitor preacher who comes is arrested by that and feels the need to present Jesus here this morning rather than present anything else. So go with a group. Have friends. Read the Gospels. Read the Epistles. Read the Old Testament. Scale the heights of Christ with a group of Christians until we all see Jesus face to face. I saw some of these rock climbers. They do dangerous things to see these sights of the creation that God has made. Let's be like them and undergo even greater tribulations, trials, in order to see Jesus. Do you desire to see Jesus? Do you yearn to go to heaven and see Jesus face to face? Is there a sense where you're dissatisfied with the scriptures? Because you long to see Jesus face to face. At the moment, we walk by faith. But one day, we will walk by sight. Is the reason we have so little joy in our lives is because we don't desire to see the greatest sight known to man, the Lord Jesus. And if you have that desire, have you acted on the desire? The Greeks did so many years ago. They, made, they had the desire and they actually went and did something about it. 
Or is your desire to see Jesus more like seeing Mount Everest? Oh, yeah, I'd love to see it, but you know what I'd have to do if I wanted to see Mount Everest? It's a lot of work. Is that you when it comes to desiring to see Jesus? My encouragement this morning to all of you is to not just desire to see Jesus, but act upon it. Search for him, see Jesus, trust in Jesus, and then see more and more by the faith that you have, particularly in his death for you. May it always be our request of the apostles. Whenever we open the Bible, may it be our words that come out of our mouth, just like they did out of the Greek so many years ago. As we open the Bibles, may we ask, we would like to see Jesus. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Lord, we would like to see Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would show us Jesus by the words you gave your apostles so many years ago. And Lord, we ask that you would show us Jesus despite our sin. And may we be filled with joy at the sight of him. May everyone in this room be able to testify that there is no greater sight to gaze upon than to gaze upon God himself. And we pray this in his name. Amen.